Welcome, everyone, to a very special episode of the Illusion of Consensus podcast with myself, Rav Arora, independent journalist based in Vancouver, BC. Uh, today, I have the great honor of talking to Dr. Pamela Criscow. Am I pronouncing it right? Last name? Yeah, Crisco, like yeah, oil. Yeah. Yep. Crisco, perfect. <laughs> She's a psychedelic researcher and medical doctor uh, based here in Vancouver. And she's a board member of the Psychedelic Association of Canada. Um, she is also the co-founder and scientific medical advisor for Mycomedica Life Sciences and the medical lead for Roots to Thrive, uh, the nonprofit organization, which we're going to talk all about that. Uh, Pamela, thanks for coming on. I'm really excited to talk to you. Thanks, Rob. Fun to be here. Here we go. Yeah, so can you um, elaborate just for a minute on how you came to psychedelics and what your, I mean, I know you have many, many roles right now, but kind of the general gist of your work over the past several years? Yeah, well, I've, I mean, psychedelics have been uh, something I've known about, you know, basically since being a teenager. So it's nothing new to know about psychedelics for me, but, you know, my first degree was in criminology. So I had a criminology and yeah. it was very clear in my criminology degree, you know, that uh, the war on drugs had been incredibly harmful. And, uh, you know, when when these medicines were criminalized in the 70s and 80s for 80s for MDMA and the 1970s for the other, there was no medical or scientific evidence presented. Uh, and that's highly problematic to have governments making decisions like that without having the experts in the community, the medical doctors, the nurses, the therapists, et cetera, and the scientists involved in these decisions. And I hope we never have a time in history again like that. But I already knew that this was problematic. And then when I went on to do my medical degree, it, I brought that knowledge with me, of course. And thanks to our colleagues, uh, you know, Roland Griffiths, who uh, has recently passed on, you know, they were really pushing to get these medicines brought back in, especially in the palliative care area. And as Roland and his team were really moving things along and started to make it obvious to those of us that had been involved in, in knowing um, about the potential of psychedelic medicines, that it's possible that these are going to come back uh, into society and not in a way that is um, brings law enforcement and the courts and stuff into into it. So, so it's been a long journey. It's been, and it's been, and it's exciting because it seems like now we are in a place where science is excited and studying these researchers are excited. Sci um, healthcare professionals are excited across many, many disciplines. And our patients are excited because people want to feel well. They want to, they want to clear up their symptoms. They want to clear up their conditions and feel well and, and live a good life. So. Yeah. So, I mean, I've known about them forever, knew that we had a problem and now am in a place where we can actually move the bar mm -hmm. forward. Now you're the lead for the Roots to Thrive program. And so you have gotten uh, a number of uh, exemptions from Health Canada to treat patients with psychedelics. Mm -hmm. um, is that, uh, can you speak a little bit about just the, the basics of that? Like which have you gotten approval for MDMA, psilocybin, uh, ketamine, anything else as well? And for 
which conditions generally? I assume end of life, anxiety, depression, PTSD. Is there anything yeah, else many. as well? Well, yeah. and, and more accurately, I am the medical lead of Roots to Thrive nonprofit. Um, Dr. Shannon Dames and her, her partner, Phil Dames, created Roots to Thrive, the, the, the resiliency program. And I was the, I was the person to bring and, with, and put the program together with them to add the psychedelic component to Roots to Thrive. And so we have many folks, fine folks, like other physicians and researchers and nurses and therapists that co-created the program. So my hat there is medical lead. And yes, we've gotten, so we were, our patients, uh, we had patients that with end of life conditions, so palliative care patients that were granted section 56 exemptions from Health Canada. So we were able to do a very ceremonial wonderful therapeutic program for these patients using whole mushrooms so that they could you know have a ceremonial psychedelic session with psilocybin mushrooms to deal with the anxiety and depression and other concerns they had related to their palliative care diagnosis mm. then health canada closed the door on section 56 and said they wanted everyone to make the applications through what is called the special access program and we have also been uh, successful there getting many of these uh, these uh, applications approved and in these cases now we have to use medicines that have gone through phase one phase two trials for safety and efficacy so we have um, had to use what is available and that in these cases has been um, lab made psilocybin and botanically extracted psilocybin so our patients have seen that. So we have patients that have qualified for those exemptions who have end-of-life distress related to palliative care diagnoses and patients with treatment-resistant depression have been awarded uh, these um, these permissions. And we have also been awarded uh, from Health Canada permission for using MDMA for post-traumatic stress disorder. And we're in a unique position right now in British Columbia where MDMA has been decriminalized. So patients can have their can uh, procure their own MDMA, and our program can, in a harm reduction manner, create the safety around um, a, a ceremonially had held and medically safe, like the combination of both ceremony and medically safe put together, so people can have sessions with their own MDMA that has been drug tested and is cleared to be, you know, not tainted, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. So, and, nope. and ketamine, of course, which you, you mentioned, but you don't need, we don't need special permissions to work with ketamine. Ketamine is a medicine that is legal in Canada and across North America. And we use it in ways that are supported by the academic literature and by clinical experience for patients that have PTSD, or, uh, or depression, or anxiety, or substance use disorders, or uh, disordered eating, or OCD, and a few other things there. So we use a clinical evidence to work with people with ketamine mm. as well. Hi, everyone. A quick word from our first and exciting new sponsor, Alchemy Elements. We've been shopping around trying to find the best sponsors that align with our mission and our values and what we stand for. And we've come across Alchemy Elements, which I'm very excited to bring to you guys, which is a synergistic herbal supplement. It's a mix of several adaptogenic 
plant compounds. For those of you who don't know, adaptogens, you might have heard on Andrew Huberman's podcast, are uh, plant medicines that help the body adapt to stress, essentially. And so there's a number of adaptogens in here, including cordyceps mushrooms, reishi mushrooms, astrologus, shiljot, polygala, lion's mane mushrooms, and other compounds as well. And you just take a tablespoon of this, you put it in your morning coffee or your smoothie or protein shake, and you're good to go. Um, I've been doing this for about a week, and as it suggests, um, some of the short-term effects of increased focus, increased concentration, more energy, I've already been feeling some of that. Uh, look forward to taking it more in the long term and reporting back as we do more of these ads. Uh, we've been very careful and selective in what to what what to sponsor on our program, and this is something that I can totally get behind. And as long as you keep hearing ads about this particular product, Alchemy Elements, you can be assured that this is something that I stand behind and can personally vouch for and recommend individuals try. Um, so for a limited time right now. Um, people who are watching or listening to this podcast, they can get a 10% discount on their first order, or they can get a 30% discount for all subscription orders if you um, subscribe for a certain amount of deliveries per month. And if you um, order a subscription package, then you can get the premium gold kit as well, which includes this um, really nice gold bottle and a gold spoon to store your alchemy elements. Um, just use the code word illusion. If you're on Spotify or Apple or Substack, um, we'll drop a link below, or you can manually uh, type in alchemyelements.com and you can add um, your uh, products to the cart and you can put in the code illusion and you can get the 10% off discount for the first order or 30% off for the subscription order and you can get your gold kit. Uh, thank you so much to Alchemy Elements. Um, please check them out and uh, I hope you enjoy their products. All right, back to the show. Now, you mentioned the end-of-life patients. Um, can you speak a little bit about what kind of results you saw uh, in those patients? Because that's a very vulnerable time where individuals, mm -hmm. it's like you, you have a whole lifetime of experience and it's about to just end, yes. uh, or, or at least we think it's going to end. For some people, you know, religion can provide um, mm -hmm. a very powerful narrative to help overcome some yeah. of that anxiety. But, but, but even people with um some kind of religious beliefs they're they're often suffering as well with what's yet to come ahead because it's not it's not exactly crystal clear based on any yeah. kind of um you know beliefs of what exactly is going to happen so there's there's still a worry there um what kind of results uh have you seen among those people yeah really good results and you know it to kind of go back a bit too it's like people are not all the same you know they're not homogeneous they are um, you know, people with a palliative care diagnosis, they can have a lot of different things. Like some people are fine. They're accepting it like, oh, okay, now what? Other people are really worried about their families, their children, um, their legacy, uh, you know, making things right. Um, for many people, it is exactly what you said, this existential distress related to, I am not going to be on this earth anymore. Where am I going? What does that mean? Um, are my beliefs congruent with my spirituality or my religion? And so there can be just a lot of things that are, you know, even most of it is actually stuff that's normally present in us anyways. And so we have this compassionate feel, <coughs> excuse me, that if you're at end of life, we should provide as much 
safety and care and, and compassion as possible, which is why we have hospice. And, um, but I would argue that, you know, the question of providing these medicines at the end of life is, uh, of course, a no brainer. And I would like us to start having the conversation of don't people have the right to feel better earlier? Like you shouldn't have to wait till you get a palliative care right. diagnosis to feel better. And you asked about the results is, you know, what we see, which is very similar to what other programs have seen that have been able to, to use psilocybin at end of life is people actually live longer. Not everyone, people still, people still succumb to whatever the condition is that gave them the diagnosis of, of being end of life. And many people do better. Like when you, re when you release this stress and the depression subsides and maybe the anxiety subsides and maybe you get a bigger picture of what is the real joy and love of your life. Like, what do you wish you could be doing that when you unencumber, you know, our, our, what our nervous system, like the neural inflammation, the, the inflammation, all that stuff, like how mind and body is completely attached and intertwined. When you release a lot of that, the body can do a lot of things. And maybe we don't fully understand this completely, but what we're seeing is that people um, generally live longer. And, you know, why that, that is interesting. But I, like I said, I've talked to the, the people that are in the other, that have run the other studies out of NYU and John Hopkins. And they're saying, yeah, yeah, this is true. We're seeing the same thing that most people live longer and they become more engaged. And very much the, a very common comment is, I'm not afraid of dying, so now I can live. I'm, or now I can live because I'm not afraid of dying, you know? So now they're really showing up in their life with their family and their friends and, and you know, doing, doing what they want to do and having the conversations they want to do. And in some cases, some have gone back to work, <laughs> you know? In some cases, they've, you know, they've, they've gone on, taken the holidays they wish they had taken earlier, so... Again, it really it really argues that we shouldn't pe we sh people shouldn't have to be palliative to feel better to have right. access to these medicines. Yeah, and and how many um, cases are you talking about in your in your own experience when you say that um, it seems like yeah. they they seem to live longer? Is it dozens of cases or yeah, it's between or... forty and fifty now yeah. is where we're seeing oh. that many folks who have come through and and if we extrapolate out to other programs, I mean, we would be into the hundreds. Yeah. of people and this is this is rich for research you know how yeah. much long like what is i mean remember when we say prognosis like how much longer was somebody likely to live mm -hmm. it's kind of it's we don't ha that's not an exact science we we are guessing based on previous experiences and how aggressive can, a cancer can be but it's ripe information to study for a, like a clinical research to go how long if people get psilocybin after a palliative care diagnosis, how much longer do they live? Right. And, and I, and I can say for our program, it's, you know, less than 10% of people who have gone through our program have passed on. Like passed away from their diagnosis period. Well, passed, yeah. From their diagnosis or, or, um, at least one that I can think of, I could, and I just want to stay, make sure I'm staying completely in what I know to be true. Is one person chose a made date, had a made date, like a medical assistance in dying. Oh, okay. And 
but they they chose it. They wanted they mm. wanted to go out on their own terms, and so you mm. know. But that date was way after the original date that they had planned. Mm. So so you know it it allows people to either feel better while they're with the rest of their life, or if they want to if they want to decide their exit date, they mm. they are they are making that choice. So you're saying yeah. 90% of the individuals um, that you've worked with have survived their terminal condition? Well, they're still alive. I mean, still, life is terminal, right? Yeah. For right. all of us, life is yeah. terminal. So, I mean, we can't say 90% will live forever because none of us yeah, will, yeah. right? Of but I mean, saying like 90% are still, they have gone past what they're expected, mm. what they were expecting to. Gotcha. And we're saying like, and I know this is very rough, but roughly like years past, it's, it's been years past since they were told that they were likely going to pass away. In some cases, months. yeah. In some okay. cases, and some are, are no. brand new. So we're not, we're not that far out from their psilocybin session to have that data yet to say, yes, they're years. Yeah. And we only be weeks out from their last psilocybin session. So. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, I want to, I think maybe return to your experience working with patients one-on-one -on -one, uh, in, a, in a bit here. Um, mm -hmm. I guess I'm interested in your broad view on psychedelics as part of a uh, holistic healing, a holistic healing process. Like th there is, there is one thing that I do see a lot. Uh, and that's something that I think I had as well is when learning about this, like when reading Michael Pollan's book and hearing like various experiences from people in media, um, mm -hmm maybe having a bit of this naive or myopic picture that, oh, if I, you know, I'm dealing with, you know, in my case, OCD, ADHD, like symptoms, chronic anxiety, just a bunch of stuff. And this sort of view of, oh, if, you know, a session of psilocybin or, or, or a few sessions of psilocybin and MDMA will just, you know, cure me of those things and I'll be healed. I'll be like drastically better after a few sessions. I think a lot of people have what my friend Carson Kavari from uh, Thrive Downtown Clinic in Vancouver says, this kind of mick healing approach of like, you take a, you know, this pill, this dose of MDMA, and now you're cured of PTSD hours later or weeks later, when in reality, it's more like these are very, very powerful mind expanding tools. If when, if done in the right setting with the right preparation can open the door to have those deep explorations and conversations about what is holding you back psychologically and mentally and then the integration afterwards with rigorous follow-up and intentionality um to really work through um, what those barriers have been and then um, actually applying some of those lessons and not forgetting about it because there are some cases i have heard about which just you know human beings are flawed and not everything works like they have an experience or a set of experiences and um for whatever reason, either the, the therapist or themselves, they don't have the particular rigor or self-determination to um, apply those lessons that are learned or really integrate. And a few months later, they're right back to where they started um, and they're confused about what happened. Um, w what do you make of the general role of, of psychedelics? Like, I know this is a very basic question, but what do you think they have to, to offer? Yeah, well, I think the answer well, my opinion is that you still have to do all the things that are required for foundational health to be a healthy human. 
There is nothing out there that is, there is no magic wand out there, period. There is no magic wand for anything. If you want to be a healthy human, you have to do healthy human things. And what does that mean? You have to eat healthy food. You have to drink water and be hydrated. You have to have some time in nature every day. You have to realize you are nature. You're not separate from nature, right? So you have to be in health and relationship with this planet we live on. You, we all need to be in a community that we care for and that cares for us. We have to be able to give to people, to assist people and be able to receive help from others when we need it. So it has to be a full circle. The circle can't be broken. We can't just give and not never receive. We have to give and receive in a community. We have to be in loving relationships and we have to extricate ourselves from things that are not healthy for us. You know, so there's a mm-hmm. whole bunch of things here. We have to be lifelong learners. We have to turn off the screens. We have to laugh. We have to find joy. We have to find meaning. And and that comes in lots of ways. And if we don't do all the things, we're not going to be healthy. Mm-hmm. Psychedelics is simply a tool in that toolbox. So you think of us, we want to have a big toolbox. We want to have a lot of good things. That's healthy food. That's a good laugh every day. That's outside in the trees. If you have children outside playing, laughing, reading, whatever that is. And then the psychedelics become a very, a great tool to make the soil even more fertile, right? So that you can then, the seed you plant in a psychedelic session can then grow. Right. So the insights you get in a psychedelic session then have to be actualized. You know, when you bring the aha moment forward, oh, you have to then actualize it. You have to action it. You know, so if the psychedelics tell you, you know, you got to get off your butt and get exercising, then you got to exercise. The psychedelics are not going to help you exercise. If the psychedelics show you, you have a, a persistent pattern of of meeting people that are toxic to you, then you have to take that seriously and go, how do I change that? What do I need to do? Right? They just amplify, like they give you information that you then have to action and you have to do all the other things. Right? So psychedelic therapy is not a thing. What is a thing is doing all the human things you need to do and then using psychedelics as a tool. And that is, I think, a big error we have in our society right now. I'm going to go do, I'm going to be a psychedelic therapist or I'm going to go do psychedelic therapy. But what, but you got to do the other things too. Like you can go and have a psychedelic session, but you got to do the other things too. It's not a magic wand. And all those other things you got to do are fun. They're meaningful. Eating a good meal, growing food, planting a garden, looking at a flower, laughing, you know, going for a walk. Those are good things for a human to do. Right. And so and then with the therapist, like people saying, I want to be a psychedelic therapist. I think this is really important. You have to be a good therapist first. 
first, you don't become a psychedelic therapist. You become a good therapist who is doing their own work, right? You don't go, you don't go, oh, I have all these problems. I'm going to go heal other people. Nobody heals anyone. We all are our own inner healer. We do our own healing. But if you want to work with these medicines, you have to be healthy. You have to have a strong foundation. You have to have healthy relationships with substances. So you're not drinking every night when you get home. You're not vaping all day long. Like you have to have a healthy relationship with yourself and your body. How can you serve somebody else's healing if you are yourself not doing your own healing? Right? So, so for people seeking to feel better, do all the things and then use psychedelics right. as a tool. Right? And we're in, we're in a, this is, we're in a society of sick care right now. Right? We're using these to help sick care. Something's wrong with me. This is going to help me. We should be reorientating ourselves, our, our reorienting our, our thinking to go, how, how can we be healthier? How can we be more preventative? You know, if you're not getting outside and moving your body every day, start there. Because when you do have a psychedelic session, it'll be a lot better. If you're not eating real food, if you're eating donuts all day, move to healthy eating. And then if you have a psychedelic session, it will be much better. Right. Mm. And, and, and if you're really having a struggling time to get there, sure, maybe psychedelics is going to be something used earlier. But any good therapist knows you have to be super skilled at something as a therapist. And then psychedelics can be an add on tool. Right. Does that make sense? Like people don't. Yeah. You don't become a psychedelic therapist without first being yeah. a therapist. Yes. Yeah. 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 Hundred yeah. percent. And and that's a big yeah. issue out there because people are oh, yeah. going okay. and taking training or yeah. taking sitter school and and then putting a shingle out saying they're a therapist and they're not mm. because when when the big issues come up, you need to know how to handle them because if you give right. somebody a medicine, you are responsible for the person you gave the medicine to. Not just for that session, but for weeks and months and years later. It is an, it is an ethical obligation. And our system, we need to take that seriously. That's such an important point that, I mean, I obviously don't know the area from the inside as much as you do. Uh, but I can definitely see that being a problem. Uh, I mean, I mean with, ther with therapists in general or psychologists, like it's... <laughs> Um, you would want your therapist and your psychologist to have figured out, you know, a lot of their stuff. And so they're not just working their own trauma through you. Right. And, and I, I have Ooh, heard some stories exactly. like that. And thankfully I've found some really good counselors where I feel like, like when I was shopping, shopping, so to speak for counselors earlier on a couple of years ago, there were a couple that I came across first where I was like, ah, I don't know. I feel like this person, it's like, I feel like they need some help a little bit. Um, so I don't feel the, I don't feel the safest. I don't feel like I'm going to be really taken care of. It feels yeah. more like what's, what's going on here. Well, um, people anyway. should trust that feeling, Rav. Like people yeah. should trust that. On the Psychedelic Association of Canada, under ethics, there is a, there is a clickable link there that says how to find an ethical therapist. And if you're going to create a, a healing alliance, like a, a, um, you know, a therapeutic alliance with somebody, they got to check those boxes. You want right. the best person and a therapist is not a forever person in your life. They should be helping you take the steps up 
until you graduate from needing them anymore. Right? There should not mm-hmm. be these these forever relationships. Mm. You know, if if you're not getting better with the person who is you're working with, it's time to move on and find mm. the next person who can lift you up to the next levels, help you lift up, walk with you. Mm to take you to your next levels. It's really important because there are some therapeutic relationships that go on for decades and the person is not getting better. That's ridiculous. That should not ever be happening. Yeah. 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 I found in my experience, I've, I think, um, underestimated how much time it would take to get better. So like I would have naively thought initially, like I was saying like, Oh, so I've I've done uh, two sessions of MDMA and one session of LSD. Um, with a counselor. And Mm -hmm. uh, I think there was definitely an overestimation of how quickly the results of that would would manifest in my life or how quickly I would feel better afterwards. Mm -hmm. And same with the counseling journey. It's been, I think, um, a year and a half now. And I would have maybe suspected like, oh, like maybe six months, a year, like I'll be good. And then even like recently, it's like been like, oh, look, we're just like, coming up like these revelations are just emerging now mm-hmm. over some like very deep things and that's this is this is really freaking important this like yeah. whatever this particular childhood experience or this one emotion that i've been carrying forever yeah um and it's, what, a time, it's a time release medicine right like yeah. you may have an mdma session you know in january and get the aha in november and right. you still have to do all the human health things Right, you still have to get outside, eat good food, laugh, yeah. find community. Sometimes you have to fire some friends and find some new <laughs> ones. Like you still yeah. have to do all the things because if you're hanging out with people that are always negative, how do you get out of negativity? Yeah. Right. So you like that's the thing, and and here's the thing, Rap. People can accelerate their healing. Right. By leaning into it and going, yeah, what are all, what are what does a healthy human look like? What is my vision for what I want to be? Who do I want to be? And then start doing it because you're neuroplastic. Right. This metaplasticity. And what if like what if you're trying to learn? You're thinking, oh, when I'm better, I'm going to learn the guitar. How about start playing the guitar now? You know, don't wait till you're better. Start now. Or when I'm better, I'll start exercising. How about you exercise now? Because you're a little pharmaceutical factory. Like you can make your own dopamine. You can make your own oxytocin. You can make your own serotonin, mm. right? Like we, we're only at the beginning levels of, of this stuff. And so I, I just say to be like, do everything. Even if it yep. only helps you 5%, that 5% is better than zero. Right. Yeah. And when it comes to people, when you're saying like all these other pieces in life are very important. I'm curious what your thoughts are about this. Like a Mm -hmm. lot of people, they're unable to do some of those things. Mm -hmm. Like, like, you know, we're talking healthy relationships, Mm -hmm. laughing, finding community, people struggling with depression, PTSD, anxiety. Mm -hmm. They can feel trapped for a number of reasons. Absolutely. uh, Or or have, you know, cynical or sometimes I've, you know, found sort of apocalyptic narratives of, well, we're just stuck here. I'm, you know, whatever. I'm in my 60s now you know, life sucks. I've wasted my life away and I'm depressed and whatever, and I'm not going to find mm-hmm. love. You know, there's like all these narratives that play. And yeah, so and, and I think Benet such... Brown does this wonderful. Is it true? There are lots of people at 60 that find true love. 
there are lots of people that invent the coolest thing at 70 and above. Mm-hmm. There are people that have 20 different careers. You're never done. So the question is always, is it true? Is there any example out there that shows me that, right? Yeah, I'm abs- you're absolutely right. When you are in despair or depression or things are not going your way, you're, I'm, I am not dismissing that at all. But if all I can ever be is optimistic and say there are solutions. So find the one little thing. Like if you're doom scrolling on Instagram or to stop and turn on comedy, make, make a rule. I will only watch comedy, right? right. If you're simple, make a rule. I will yeah. get outside every day, even if I'm crying. Yeah. Right. Because one thing leads to another thing. One baby step leads to another. And when, when you are in the, and we have everybody at some point in their life will most likely be in a place of deep despair at some point. And the path is always to do one thing. One thing. What, where am I trying to get to? You know? So yes, absolutely. But you've got to do one thing. Yeah. And but so but so for the psychedelics, mm-hmm. um, for people that are really stuck in some kind of mental health issue, they can provide that kind of glitch mm-hmm. in the narrative. They, they can reshape that narrative. So like so people, you know, I, well, the examples that you gave, right? Like, I, everyone I run into is toxic. I can't find healthy relationships. I can't find love. It's always messed up. The people that I come across, it never leads to a true connection or a, a reciprocal relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a narrative that's playing in their head. And, and there's probably reasons why that person is finding those other people, most likely, right? There's certain past experiences and traumas that are leading them to select for a certain kind of person, right? Yeah, and, and, the, that- and the, blind, the blinders are narrowed that they can only see that and they can't, they just, you will, the person that's really friendly to you at the store, who's really kind, you'll, you'll ignore that. Yeah. And only focus on the person that cut you off in traffic. Right. Right. Yeah. So, so broadly, I'm curious. So, so psychedelics, they can provide this shift in mm-hmm. the narrative. And I guess to personalize it to you, like, what have you seen in your practice with, and yeah. with these protocols? You mentioned, I think, before we started getting rolling about how your protocols for PTSD have like 92% success rates. What, mm-hmm. what is special or unique or so powerful about your, uh, protocols uh i assume there's a lot of preparation and i'm I'm curious how many sessions of i assume mdma and what the integration looks like i'm curious about that kind of uh, trajectory this is something i asked rick doblin a couple weeks ago too when he was on the podcast Um, yeah yeah, it's so a solid so again it, it comes down to with roots to thrive we don't think of the psychedelic as the main show it's a tool and so we, we run, we run group therapy. So we have group programs that run for 12 weeks, the first four weeks on, and it's all online except for the psychedelic sessions. Mm-hmm. The first four weeks are about creating community mm. relationships, mm. right? Right. That's what we need. Because people that are in those states, they often feel alone. Like, Oh, exactly. I'm, the one, I'm the one that can't find love. I'm the yeah. one that's depressed. And they, that's a very common thing, right? You feel, People yeah. with depression, they're often very lonely. Exactly. They're, yeah. And you feel like you're the only one. 
and you feel like ashamed because you're the only one and you feel depressed because you're the only one and then you silo yourself or or and the reality is this, these are common human issues they're common and so when you come together so in the program we bring people together so the first 4 weeks are all about getting to know other people seeing that other people have the same challenges and starting to work through so building relationships building resiliency and while preparing for the medicine what is the medicine about how does it work do you have do you have all your questions answered like taking care of people slowly deliberately in and helping people gain trust in the process so that when they go into the psychedelic medicine session they trust the team it's really important that they know the team is going to hold a solid ceremonial container that takes care of all their safety needs so that they can go deeply into their psychedelic journey and engage with their own inner healing intelligence. And then as they come out of their session, the team is there always, and, and our people all journey in a group, small group, eight people, because we see that people get better faster. You get better faster when you're with community and you're with other humans, right? That's how you regain relational trust, how you regain knowing that there are good people out there. And there are people out there that are going to like you with all your flaws because we all have flaws, right? We're always, we're all messing up all the time. We're all doing, you know, we're complex. And then the team, the ceremonial team and the Roots to Thrive therapy team, all of us were the same thing, doing really solid integration. And when people integrate together, they start to realize, oh, other people are feeling shaken up too. Oh, other people are having questioning how they've lived their life and what do they want? How do so they they are traveling with a community? Think about wow. that. We wow. always traveled in community before, right? This is the first time in history that we are not, mo most of us are not tightly in a community, right? That, that holds us accountable to be better people. So they're traveling this 12-week program together in a community. And so then they have their three psychedelic sessions in the program and, and continued the, and continued way, Sorry to interrupt you, but in the sessions, are those in groups as well? Yeah. Like during the session? So yep. how does that, so how is that going to work? So there's five different people and they have their therapists and they're all going through well, different, the thing is, like the thing that seems is pretty chaotic. No, we're, when things are done well, it is not, it is beautiful. And that is the difference between excellence and McDonald's drive-through. Mm -hmm. The team has to be excellent, which means the team has to have done their work, mm -hmm. which means the team shows up and holds a ceremonial space. Mm -hmm. that is solid and strong so that the people having their psychedelic journey we have eight people in each room journeying and the wow. team takes care of them so they can go in and do the work they want to do it's not chaotic at all mm. it's ceremonial and they then they can integrate together in community mm -hmm. they can witness each other they can and and then what happens is they they continue through and each person is progressing at their own pace of course so right. some people come out of the 12 week program and they're great they're done 
Mm. <laughs> Others still want to work on some things. They're like, hey, I still want it. Like, I feel like I've done that. And now I want to work on my grief around mm. losing my parents at a young age. Or, you know, mm. so we're all different. We all need, we all need different things. But, well, actually not, but, and when we, when we engage in a community, what happens is people come out of the program and now they have friends. Right. They have a community that will hold them accountable mm. to their changes. Yeah, that, that mm-hmm. I love that. I've, I've never actually thought about it that way, um, having a process like mm-hmm. that. I mean, I really like like journeying with the community over time. Although, and maybe this is, this, I could totally change my mind on this personally, but personally, like I'm probably going to be gearing up potentially for another MDMA session after it's been two mm-hmm. years in the new year. And it just like, Experiences like that, I, I feel like I would much rather have that MDMA session with my two counselors and no one else journeying yep. as well. There's something about just me and having two people looking after me and just taking care of my concerns and worries there. Yeah, um, but... and, and there's that that's totally legitimate. And everyone mm-hmm. should have choice on how they want to proceed with their healing. I fully and think about this. Let's say you have your journey. But then after you're able to talk about it with other people that are not just your therapists, that are actually just people you care about, like your family. Like what if your family was able to have all have their own MDMA supported session and then after Uh you came together and you talked about it? Like think about that, right? Doesn't that feel good? Like doesn't that feel good? That seems like a a lot. That seems like a lot. Yeah, well, yeah. Probably not but, yet. Maybe at some point in the future. I mean, there's different and, stages in a family, but yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Sure. yeah. I think about that. We at, the, at the right in, time. Yeah. We heal in community and imagine the generational yeah. healing we would do if we could. Like, right. if, if, yeah. and, and think about it like this, like imagine uh, people that want to get married or want to commit to living together. Mm. Imagine if before that, wow. they did wow. a session where they can talk open-heartedly and and shed the stuff that doesn't serve them like why wait until the world is exploding to do the to do the work so i think you know this mdma would be brilliant for families and in fact i have so many case reports of families that have done an mdma session together really and and they thought it would be a shit show, excuse my language. And it would be, and they <laughs> that's say, what I would think, but, uh, yeah. <laughs> but that's, that yeah, yeah. is not generally what happens because under right. with MDMA, we become part opened. Yeah. We are not mean. We are not malicious. We are in the, be- we are in the best part of love and connection. And sure, things can be said, but then you're in the space to be able to lean in and talk about it and cry and release the emotion and laugh and release the emotion. And so, you know, if we want to heal ourselves, we need to heal in community. We, we, and we heal in relationships. That's where relationships heal. When we, when we can, when you can trust me and I can trust you, that's healing. Mm -hmm. Wow. And, uh, I, I feel like many people would be interested in this. Would, to in, enroll in this program, would you first need a Health Canada exemption for your particular yeah, diagnosis? So there's, there's a couple ways. So people can, people can, with a referral from their primary care provider, whether that's a nurse practitioner, a naturopath, an MD, can be, are referred into the program. for ket- And that's for ketamine. And ketamine is excellent. It's legal. 
it's a really good medicine when done very ceremonially. It is, I used to be a very big snob against ketamine until I saw how amazing it works. And I think it is, I think it is right up there with all the other medicines. Yes. And, and it's legal, it's safe. And if you're on a lot of medications, like a lot of people are on a lot of uh, mental health medications, ketamine, it works well. There's like very few interactions. So that's pretty rare. Like psilocybin has interactions. MDMA has interactions. LSD has interactions. So ketamine is a medicine people can start with right away. So people can get a referral into the program. They get a full, they get a full meeting with, with, you know, our intake team to make sure it would be safe. So that's one option. People that want to work with psilocybin or MDMA also um, need to get a referral, but then we sit down with them and we do the paperwork required by Health Canada. And then we send it into Health Canada and we cross our fingers that we get uh, approved. And if we get approved, then we, and then we proceed. And it's, it's a very thoughtful process and it's, it's about, and Roots to Thrive, the whole team, like we do our work. We're doing our personal work all the time so that we can be in mm-hmm. service. We want, mm-hmm. we are serving the people in the program. We know that if people get well, the world is better. So everybody that comes through the program, we want them to be able to go out into the world and have the ripple effect of wellness, right? Get to the point where they don't need these programs, that they're out there playing with their grandkids and they're, you know, contributing to their community in in meaningful ways. So, And and to drill down on that 92% stat that we talked before the show, Mm -hmm. um, is that that for MDMA treatment for PTSD? We published that for our ketamine program. So oh, when ketamine. we published in Frontiers of Psychiatry a number of years ago, and actually the number was lower there. It was 86%, but I follow the data. We mm. like, s- Sorry, for which condition are we talking? P- well, per- it was 86% in 12 weeks for PTSD. For, and ketamine, th- three that sessions was of ketamine. ketamine. And what we're doing, what I'm, since that we published that, I'm, we follow, we've been following all the participants since then. And really? the numbers going higher. Wow! So that's where we get that ninety-two percent. And so, so MDMA is not the only medicine for PTSD. Mm-hmm. Ketamine works very well for PTSD when done really, really, really well. Yeah. Yep. What What would really be? Well. I know we're not going to go into depth here, but in, in a nutshell, what would like MDMA? I've I've kind of intuitively understand now. What What is What's in ketamine? Do you think what What does that experience Any, provide that could help? Anytime you can get, anytime you can get to a place where you can hit the seeds of trauma, anytime you can look at it, like whether it's with psilocybin or LSD, like when we see that with psilocybin and LSD from like way back, people were able to go, oh, I understand. I've been using alcohol to, to calm my symptoms from when my dad used to beat me when I was a child. Mm. Mm-hmm. And then suddenly they're like, and now I'm realizing I've been living my life as if I'm getting beaten by my dad every day, but I'm not getting beaten by my dad every day. I'm a strong adult. And the amygdala from meth- like, this is all theoretical, like mechanisms of action. We don't really know totally how these things, we have theories. And then people come out of that LSD session and they're like, oh, I don't feel in fight or flight every day from what I experienced as a four-year-old because now I'm a 38-year-old man or a woman, right? So any, all these psychedelics, and they are all psychedelics, they just have different ways of acting. They, if you can get to the seed of the trauma, 
which you can, then and, and sometimes can they, and sometimes there could be many seeds like childhood exactly. and something happened in the twenties, something happened in the forties, and then yeah. there could be yeah. lots of seeds, which would mean a lot of work. That's a lot of work and, too. Yeah. But and you don't always have to hit them all. Sometimes oh. when you fit, when one kind of gets resolved, the others go with it. Oh wow! And, some, okay. and sometimes you do need to go at many of them. But I've seen people like, for instance, combat veterans mm. come back. And they have seen trauma after trauma after trauma where they have worked. Or, and then they have one or two sessions and it just, it, it's gone. It's, it's this, they're just like, I just feel like a thousand pounds has been lifted off me. My brain, I can think now, I can understand yeah. that what, what I saw was bad and, and it's not mm -hmm. happening right now. Mm -hmm. Right. Cause that's the trauma. The brain thinks it's still happening right now right that's part of it right. that's part of why we think this why we're still in trauma right and so whatever and so it doesn't rob it doesn't necessarily even have to be a psychedelic medicine i mean let's think back to our indigenous friends here it can be sweat lodges it can be sundance you know let's look at Stanislav Grof and and, and brigitte Grof. like it could be holotropic breathwork it could be wilm hoff ice plunges like there are all sorts of ways of having a non-ordinary state that allows yeah. you to look at something that has happened in a different way and gain an insight right so yeah. so and over time over the next decades we're going to get more and more clinical information we're going to get case studies we're going to get clinical trials we're going to get all sorts of levels of evidence Mm -hmm. that are going to help us disambiguate what mm -hmm. where where should we start for some people for, with ptsd mdma will be a first start for other people it might be psilocybin for other people it yes. might be ketamine so there's no yeah. one right answer right at all I, i'm so glad you mentioned that and this is going to lead to hopefully we can get through like a couple points that i really really want to hit on um in the next 13 minutes here um I know of multiple examples and I've seen this in myself too. And thank God for my uh, counselor who made a recommendation two years ago when I was really adamant about doing psilocybin for my first trip. And mm -hmm. I, I previously, I had done um, a couple of microdoses, and it had elevated some chronic chest pain, sort of mm -hmm. anxiety that I was like, Oh my God, what's going on here? And I was really worried about that. But at the same time, I really wanted a full clinical, like two or three gram dose of psilocybin. I just, mm -hmm adamant about it and but he was like no 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 we're gonna do mdma for the first one and thank god that we went that way it became obvious to me over time that that would have been a really bad step potentially and the the two mdma sessions that i did after that were really kind of home runs in what i kind of needed at that time i think mm -hmm. and how it's unfolded in my life now i know a couple of exam not a couple a few examples and there's obviously many many out there um uh and I assume you might have come across this of a, couple, a few examples that I, I know very personally where it seems like um, individuals in more of a potential so chronic stress, flight or fight or flight state, um, not a properly regulated nervous system, dealing with a lot of anxiety and stress and nightmares, like a bunch of issues, jumping mm -hmm. in and, and experiencing PTSD or chronic anxiety, jumping into a psilocybin session and the examples that I know, um, there being some really good 
aspects of it, but there being some very difficult, very painful aspects of it where in retrospect, I look and having talked to some other people, it seems like an MDMA session or holding off for several months would have been better. And I feel like that's true for me as well. Like I shouldn't have jumped into a psilocybin session two years ago when I was dealing with a lot of anxiety issues. And it wasn't obvious to me. I didn't really identify with fight or flight or anxiety. These are terms I was like, oh, okay. And I, I see where, yeah. where that's true. But um, what do you make of that where individuals, like, like, how do you judge someone's nervous system state and whether it's a good idea to do yeah. a psilocybin session? Because I do see some people making maybe the wrong decision or jumping in too early and sometimes not being able to tell if it's a good idea to jump into it. Yeah, great question. The, and this really, the bigger answer to this is it, you need a solid therapeutic team here. Mm -hmm. This is where having a team that has lots of experience there are mm -hmm. way too many people out there that are calling themselves therapists because they've had their, they've had a psychedelic journey in the last five years, and now they want to work mm -hmm. with these medicines. Think about the lineage of apprenticeship yeah. of ayahuasca. Mm -hmm. Like it is three decades, yeah. right? And somebody thinks in North America, you can have, you know, that you can just start giving medicine. So, I mean, we, we should really check our, this hubris mm -hmm. i think it's really important and this is the whole point of having a really solid therapy team mm -hmm. where there's there is a therapeutic alliance with the person you really understand what like you're having a good conversation what are your goals what are you hoping to start with what is the safety how will we proceed and mm -hmm. then then you at that you can really decide what are the first steps? And the first steps may not be a psychedelic, mm -hmm. right? I, I'm curious about that very specific problem in your experience, like individuals, well, you know, P PTSD, chronic anxiety, fight or flight mm -hmm. state. Mm -hmm. um, what we, how would you deal Every, with that? But all, the, but all these medicines can be a good first option. And that mm -hmm. is where it is. This is a conversation between a skilled team mm -hmm. that can sit there and go, you know what? We don't have one tool in our toolbox. We have a lot. Mm -hmm. So Rav, having the conversation with you or anyone and saying, okay, where are we at? Where mm -hmm. have you come from? Where are we at? What are, what are your first intentions? Where do you want to go first? And then mm -hmm. what are the supports around you to walk with you mm -hmm. on that? So for any, any of these medicines could be a first medicine for somebody, given the preparation is appropriate, the mm -hmm. team that's holding the container of the therapy as solid and the integration, like the, the ceremony is solid and the integration afterwards is solid. So there's no one right answer. It's a really, it depends. Right. So yeah. if like, you know, if you had had, like, for instance, if you had been wanting to do psilocybin within our team, mm -hmm. you would have been, you would have felt like, I feel, I know that I'm medically safe. I know that I'm psychologically safe. I understand what this medicine is about and how this medicine works mm -hmm. and how long I will be under the medicine. And I understand what is going to happen after the medicine. And so you have this sense of safety. Right. And that's um, not always the case though, right? The psychological safety, like even in my case with MDMA, there were some nerves for sure. Like, oh, like what am I getting that's into? Normal. But yeah, yeah you know, that's normal. But safety is a very important Totally. Point, right? and, and no one should ever take a medicine unless they feel that they are 100% safely held 
by right. the, yes. the team. And that, yes. that's the, that's the challenge, right? Is how, how do you find, how do you know? Right? right. And that, that's why I love teams. That's why I love it when people work in teams because so, so if you came and worked with Reach to Thrive, for instance, you're not just getting me as a medical doctor. You're get there's also psychiatrists, there's also registered clinical counselors, there's also energy therapists, there's somatic therapists, there's nurses, indigenous mm -hmm. knowledge keepers. So you don't have to rely on my competency because you get to rely on the whole competency of a team that mm -hmm. really know, can look at it from multiple angles, not just one. Like if you mm -hmm. just have an MD, I'm going to be looking at it from my MD therapist hat. Mm -hmm. But when you know you have an MD and an energy worker and a nurse, you realize, holy cow, this is a really mm -hmm. solid container. So I'm highly advocating for people that are working in this area mm -hmm. as therapists that they create teams, that they no yeah. never work alone, never, never work alone, always create a team. And a team that is doing constant mm -hmm. quality improvement. Yeah. That is always that is that is always making sure that they are creating a container where the patient or the client or the participant can fully trust their safety. Mm -hmm. Without that, uh, you can't heal. I want to be careful about time. So you got about five more minutes. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Yep. Okay. Um, let, let me try and ask um, this this question in, in a bit of a different way. So the conclusion that I've kind of made generally is people who don't have a strong sense of, of safety within their body. So related to chronic pain issues, mm -hmm. um, individuals who are in that hyper stress, high anxiety state, my general sort of conclusion, and I, I know there's exceptions, there, there can be real exceptions to this, and there can be big success stories even within this category. But it seems to be the case that for people in the higher anxiety, fight or flight state, usually people with PTSD, Mm -hmm. um, you know, trouble sleeping, chronic pain, something that I've worked through. Um, it seems like for them, a hallucinogenic experience seems probably dangerous until they're out of that, uh, until they've ha yeah. had a strong grasp of safety in their system. Yeah. They're, they're, they're more grounded. They're yeah. more safe. They're not struggling with as much chronic anxiety. They're not always like on edge about things. And that, that's something that I've, like I said, experienced. And in retrospect, mm -hmm. I see like, okay, MDMA was mm -hmm. great for the first couple of times. And even now, actually, I don't feel particularly safe yet to go into like a psilocybin or you know, not to mention like mm -hmm. a DMT or ayahuasca experience. Mm -hmm. do, do you share that opinion or do you think there's actually even yeah. more complexity to that? Yeah. Well, I think there's, oh, there's always complexity and that, uh -huh. sorry. No worries. Um, you got, got, you got, pa got patients waiting for you. <laughs> it, got, it got noisy next door. It, it's always, it depends. And that's what I love about a process of preparation. Because then you can walk mm -hmm. with somebody and go, okay, let's, let's use a lot of other tools that calm your, your nervous system down. Let's, mm -hmm. let's really like, you know, breath work. Let's get the like polyvagal, use all of that. Mm -hmm. Let's get people embodied, yeah. the somatic work. Right. Like, there's which, a, which can take a few months, of... by the way, which can take a few months, but as, as yeah. I've learned, that's not a quick, it's taken a very long time to develop yeah. that safety. That's a very long time in my experience. Yeah, I and everybody's, yeah. everybody's different. And when you have a team that has a lot of tools, they can walk with you. And when, when a psychedelic is the right tool, then you bring in that tool. But if it's not, because you can do a lot of healing without it, a yeah. lot of healing without it. But you're right. Like you have, you can't, 
you can't just give like and this is what we see like we see people like in iowa these big ayahuasca circles are not taken care of and now they've got ptsd from their ayahuasca circle yes. because heard of that many know, times yeah. yeah it's it's very it's 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 happening and it shouldn't happen if you're if you're trying if you're giving a medicine you have to be responsible with that medicine you have to make sure that the person who's taking it is at a point of readiness right and that is what a solid team does that's what a solid therapist does that is that if we go back 300 years to our roots of our community whoever was the medicine holders would have made sure that what you were getting made sense and right now we're in a society Mm. where people are like oh here just take this and it's irresponsible because you need to do proper preparation and and that's important it's important it's you know you wouldn't you wouldn't just go you know grab moldy food and eat it you would prepare it you would clean it you would you know and we need to have that that same sense of care and compassion and responsibility when working with these medicines and then what we'll hopefully see is soon will be a society mm. that has dealt with its trauma. Right. And maybe and we can be more on the whole human health. Yes. And lastly though, like it's not a, this isn't a perfect science, right? Like there could like, even with what you're saying in your program, like mm-hmm. are there still cases where you've, you've done all this rigorous work and you've made a, a solid clinical recommendation. It's, it's time mm-hmm. for the psilocybin, but there are, there's still going to be some cases because that's just the way humanity even human experience works, there's still going to be some cases where it, 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 the experience did a lot of bad or it, it was a very negative experience per se. And that's just, there, there, there are going to be adverse experiences still for some well, number of people. Hopefully, I, you want to, hopefully you want to mitigate that as much as possible. Yeah. But can you fully eliminate bad trips, like really bad ones where it was too early, I, let's say? I reframe that. Okay. I, if, if a person isn't ready, they're not ready. That's a hard stop. And a challenging experience is not a bad trip. Right. Because mm-hmm. even a challenging experience over time gives you insight to move forward. A bad trip yes. is taking MDMA and psilocybin and going to a nightclub where nobody knows you and you're freaking out. That's a bad trip. Mm-hmm. A challenging trip is held in your with your with your support team and you are crying and wailing about losing a parent when you were three that's challenging and the team is going to walk with you through that to integrate it Mm. right there's a big difference between the terminology a challenging trip is ripe and fertile for lessons to move forward a bad trip means bad set and setting you're not ready and you're in the wrong place or you got the wrong team. So, mm-hmm. so I, I, I like some right. of the most challenging times I've ever had with a psychedelic have been the most beautiful going forward. Mm. Right. Gotcha. Okay. The, the, there's a lot right. more questions I have for you, but we're gonna have to potentially defer to another time. Uh, but this is, this has been really illuminating. I've really enjoyed this. I've, I've interviewed a number of people in this space, Dr. Matt Johnson from Johns mm-hmm. Hopkins, who you would know, Rick Doblin, it's yep. been great. Yep. Um, I, I think this past hour has been actually f- like very illuminating in a unique way because you present the, the broader holistic picture. Um, so I'm very intrigued and you've given me some things to, to, to think about. And um, I look forward to learning more about your work and maybe talking again. I appreciate well, thanks, it. Thanks, Rob. Really fun really to talk with you. Let's yeah. chat again. 
Yeah, I really like this. Thank you.